I'm Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Well, welcome everyone. Hello. All the fireworks, all the sparkles, all the everything. (laughs) Sparkles. I think I was trying to um, think of the sparklers. Mm. You know, yes, but I said sparkles. Yeah, okay, that makes no, I like sparkles yes. more. No, that's better. <laughs> well, it's still Hispanic Heritage Month, so like sparkles for that. You know, Woo-hoo. that's all all the good things. So with that, today we are talking about the 2006 Spanish Mexican historical dark fantasy horror film *Pan's Labyrinth*. ¡Sois vos! ¡Habéis regresado! No, no os asustéis, os lo ruego. Mirad, mirad. Mi nombre es Ofelia. ¿Quién eres tú? Yo. Yo. Yo he tenido tantos nombres. Nombres viejos que solo pueden pronunciar el viento. Y los árboles, yo soy el monte, y el bosque, y la tierra. Soy... Soy un fauno, vuestro más humilde súbdito artesano. Vos sois la princesa Moana. Hija del rey de Bezmorra, el reino subterráneo. Mi padre era sastre. No sois hija de hombre. Eyeballs on the hands. Ah! Okay, so this movie is written, directed, and co-produced by Juan Guillermo del Toro, and it stars Ivana Baquero, Sergi Lopez, Maribel Verdu, Doug Jones, and Ariadna Gill. Now, heavy spoilers for everything that is Pan's Labyrinth. If you have not seen it, press pause, go watch it, and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Or if it might be too historically spooky-dooky for you, just listen to us talk about it and you'll get the general gist of it. It's historically all good. Historically spooky-dooky, I love that. <laughs> That's how I felt watching it. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll throw that out there. It was very spooky-dooky uh, for the history buffs. So, uh, Jamie, give us some trigger warnings along with that. Yeah. I mean, this is like a, you know, dark fantasy, so there are... Um, like fairy tales, supernaturally elements to it. I, I mean, if if that is not for you, just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, historical. This takes place in 1944 
um, in Spain. So it's focusing a lot on the Spanish Civil War. Um, if that mm-hmm. is disturbing to you, this might not be for you. But again, like historically, 1944, there's a lot of disturbing lot historical of, things going on um, yes. in the periphery. Uh there is a lot of like sociopathic murdering happening in this film. Um, not just because there is a war happening, but also because the one of the People characters that we're following is uh is causing a lot of of harm to people in, in pretty brutal ways. So um if you don't like guns or gunshots or torture or references to torture, there's some like really grotesque uh, post-torture looking visuals that are very unpleasant. Um, uh, there's some like jokery face slashing that's very unpleasant. It's um, so jokery. <laughs> uh, references to eating it. children. Um, also death of children. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, This is a sad movie. This is a very it's sad very movie. Sad. I cried at the end. So yeah. if you're, if you don't want to be sad, this, you know, if you got to be in the right mood to be to to let the tears fall, then maybe watch this another time. <laughs> let the rain fall down and wake my dreams. So it made me think of when you said tears. <laughs> you need to let the tears fall down. <laughs> okay, yeah, this uh, I'm excited to hear you guys' thoughts about about this movie because there it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially like Jamie mentioned on the historical end because of the year that uh, this takes place in. But before we get into all of that, producer Brian, please give us some words. Sure. Hi, everybody. Producer Brian here. Um, as a reminder, you can find us on YouTube. Hi, YouTube. Check us out there. Um, we are a delight. Um, and you can see us there. Um, <laughs> so you got that. Uh, and then uh, additionally, you can find us wherever you get social media at Talk Horror Pod. Definitely find us on a TikTok, on Twitter X, and of course, uh, you can find us on Instagram as well. Um, so uh, we're gearing up for October. We're going to be doing some really fun stuff on there in October. Um, so check it out. <laughs> yes. Very excited. I already have some of my Halloween swag on if you yeah, see us on the YouTube. Big Trick Energy is a great t-shirt with a pumpkin on it. <laughs> with a pumpkin winking. So just putting me in the mood, all the right feels. It's a little rainy outside too, so mm-hmm. we're just feeling the vibes mm-hmm. today. Oh yeah. yeah, I forgot that I got a, a trick-or-treat bag that's like hiding all the way <gasps> in the back. In the background, I see, you can see it. it. Yeah, it's, it's his, uh, his lollipop. His lollipop, half-eaten mm-hmm. lollipop. Mm-hmm. Super cute. Yeah, I want to go back to Spirit Halloween just to get... Uh, there's some places that have all those cute bags, but the ones that I've been to, I haven't seen all of mm. like the the cute little backpacks, mm. so I need to find one. Maybe since I'm in Chicago, they'll have they'll have some. So. Mm. Yeah, Fun we made times. Our first, we made our first trip to a spirit and had a delightful time. Yeah, check out the yeah. TikTok. Yeah. I literally was going to say, was it on TikTok? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we need to do a, oh wait, well, have you guys watched anything this week? Um, I watched something. I actually, I I didn't, I didn't do this on purpose, but I stuck with Hispanic Heritage Month and I watched Bird Box Barcelona. How was that? I really liked it. 
I thought it was way more interesting than the original Bird Box. Oh, wow. Um, really? Well, the original Bird Box, like, is telling a pretty straightforward, like, I need to survive type of story. And the, the you know, the kitschy thing about it, the hook, is that, like, you know, you can't see and the, and they make the, they make you, the monsters make you want to kill yourself. This mm-hmm. one, I don't, I'm going to, I don't want to spoil anything. But this one had an extra layer to it that while the third act for me, I, I had a hard time kind of going with them, both from a character like justification standpoint and like the change in character standpoint. Um, I, it, it, went, it was a little bit too much for me, but th- but that just keeps it from being like really good. Like I still really liked it. Um, okay. And what was funny is that it takes place in Barcelona, which is where we just watched Wreck, which took place there. So all the apartment buildings they're going through and stuff look exactly like the Wreck. Uh, apartment mm. building, so like it really mm-hmm. uh, fit in there. And for those of you at home being like, wait, where? I'm so sorry, Barcelona. <laughs> um, I was waiting for you to say that. Yeah. I was like, I'm surprised you didn't say it the first time. Like that. <laughs> um, but I really, it's on Netflix. I really enjoyed it. It's not perfect, it's not the best thing I've ever seen. I watched mm-hmm. it on a flight and I thought it was totally uh, engaging. Nice. Yeah. Love that. Added to the list while we still, uh, especially during this month. So you guys check that out if you can. Fantastic. Well, we need a plot summary of this movie. What's the plot? (laughs) And a lot happens in this. So, Mm -hmm. Brian, good luck to you because it's... uh, (laughs) It's jam-packed. It's it's a doozy. It's jam-packed. Yeah. Okay. Let me see what I can do here. Um, <laughs> All right. Whatever you're ready, I guess I can be ready. Producer Brian, you have two, and it's only two minutes. Yes, to I give will try us my best. The plot of Pan's Labyrinth. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Ready, set, go. Okay, so Pan's Labyrinth takes place in Spain in 1944. The end of the Spanish Civil War was in 1939, and then the the fascists took over. And so this is the story of this little girl named Ophelia who moves with her pregnant mother to the woods of Spain um, to basically meet and live with her new stepfather, who is the, a, a fascist captain, and he's really bad, very villainous. Um, the little girl um, fa- is obsessed with fairy tales and believes she finds fairies in the woods. Um, her mother is doing is very sick from giving birth to the baby, and the captain is very excited that he is going to have a son. He's you know in terms of his lineage, lineage his, his um, what he's passing on, his legacy. In the woods all surrounding the compound are mercenaries trying to defeat the fascists. And the captain is there to try and defeat the mercenaries. Um, Ophelia, the little girl, um, is obsessed with fairy tales, as I mentioned. And she uh, is greeted by Pan, uh, by a fawn um, and a labyrinth. And she's given three different tasks in order to um, become the princess that she is. This movie is bookended by a story about a princess who went into the human world um, and, um, dies there, but becomes human. And, um, but she would be reincarnated in another little girl and be brought back into this like magical land. 
Her first task is that she needs to get a key from a frog. The second task is she needs to get a knife from the pale man, the one with the eyes that we all know. And the last task is that she needs to spill her brother's blood to open the portal. She does the first task. The second task, she eats grapes and ruins everything. And the third task, she does. Um, however, she um, she is killed by the fascist um, and uh, and spills her blood and opens up the portal. So she dies in in real life, but she becomes you know the queen. Uh, uh, the uh, the princess again, and throughout this whole thing, you have the secondary story about the fascists um, and the and and <clears throat> who's spying. And at the end, the um, they kill the um, they kill the uh, captain after he kills Ophelia. Um, that was that was yeah. No, that was great. Yeah, good job. Yeah, it's it's a lot that <laughs> happens, but that is absolutely yeah. like. The general gist of it, and we'll get into details of it also. General gist. (laughs) It's tough because you need to, like, infuse into there the fact that, like, it's ambiguous as to if she's the only one who is experiencing these, like, magical things. Right. Is this her way of dealing with all the tragedy and horror around her life? Right, like Or escapism. are they actually happening to her? At the end of the movie, she's talking to the fawn, but the, um, the captain doesn't the see captain. the fawn. So, like... Yeah, so is that mm-hmm. us? So do we definitively know? I guess that's one of my questions once we get into it. Definitively, is was the magic real or was this way her way of dealing with it? Because they show her dying at the end and they show the captain not seeing the fawn. However, um, do, you know, like, I, what's your take on it? You know, I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in hearing that. Um, but, uh yeah. That's Pan's Labyrinth. Awesome. Well, let's get into it because there's a lot to discuss and um, pan out. Ha ha, Pan's Labyrinth. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into our first segment, which is likes and gripes. And now are likes and gripes. So before I want to ask, has has anyone not seen this before? I have not. Oh, you, you should go, go first. first. Okay. So here's the thing, guys. When you said, okay, we're going to watch Pan's Labyrinth, of course I've heard of the movie. I have to tell you that what was in my brain was the movie Labyrinth from the 1980s with oh. David Bowie. <laughs> so when I started Pan's Labyrinth, I was like, wait a minute. The effects on here are too good. What <laughs> year did this movie come out? Because I never do the research until after sure. I watch the Which, movie. I like that you don't do that because I, mm-hmm. I feel like yes. you don't, you're not influenced by anything. You get to watch the right. movie as Nikisha. Yeah, totally. Yes, like just experience it. And so as the movie was going on, I was just like, this is not what I thought that this was going to be. So that's the first thing. So I already was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to vibe with this movie just because I thought it was Labyrinth and David Bowie in the 80s. And I was like, I don't think this is going to be like my jam. Sure. So <laughs> cut to actually watching it and experiencing it. And I was like, wait a minute. These effects are fantastic. Um, this storyline is so heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and this is a way better experience than I ever thought that I was going to have watching this movie. So that is the, the, the start of, of my journey with this movie. Sure. So as I was going 
through it, I, I will say some more general points about the, the movie. General points. I really, general just general points. Uh, I really enjoyed the historical storyline, I think more than the magical storyline, mm. mostly because I wanted more magic um, mm. because it's Pan's Labyrinth. And so I knew there was going to be magical elements to it. And so I think I would have just wanted more, but it's already a two hour long movie. It just felt a little um, rushed in trying to get that storyline across as opposed to the historical war storyline felt like it really was layered and um, came to a nice conclusion and, um, you know, everything fit very well, you know, within, within that particular story. Like, like that didn't feel rushed to me. Um, and I, I also was a, a little annoyed at Ophelia because there were some points where she's a very intelligent young girl, but then she would make some decisions that would make you think otherwise. And for me, it was kind of like, if you are going to be given these tasks, if you're going to believe right off the bat, first off, like you're going to see a fawn and there's no way that little girl wasn't going to be afraid of that fawn. That fawn was scary. And she was just like, Hey, yeah, cool. What's up? What's the deal? What, what, what do you need me to do? Great. But it was just kind of like, okay, she bought into it so quickly that when by the time we get to the eating of the grapes in the dinner scene, yeah. it's like, of course, there has to be some kind of like conflict. Like, I get it. Like, there's going to be something where, you know, we're going to have the scary, spooky aspect because she didn't follow the rules. But that just seems so out of character. I wish that mm-hmm. if there was a conflict that was going to happen to where she didn't completely follow the rules, it would have been something that was a little bit more complicated than just yeah. not eating food, if that makes yeah. sense. I, I That's actually one of my gripes. That's one of my grapes, Nikisha. My um, grapes. One of my grape <laughs> gripes. Uh, uh. Grape gripes. We have a new segment called Grape Gripes. Grape um, gripes. <laughs> that's, that's one of my gripes as well. I actually wrote down that... Um, She's too smart to have eaten the grapes. What I actually think I need, I I don't mind that she didn't. So I don't mind that she ate the grapes because, and the first half of that movie, they're talking about the, um, they're talking about like the, uh, not letting people eat. You know, you need the cards, the the, ration cards. Yes. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. The rationing. Meanwhile, they're sitting at this long table, gorging on all these cheeses and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. then, you get to her and that like uh, you know uh, an, a foil for that where she's the Pamans at the end and then you know it's the the room is very similar to the room that they were in above um, mm-hmm. you know just kind of showing that like the the gluttony and all of that meanwhile the guy at the end of the table is this thin pale man which I, I like and then she eats these grapes what I needed from that was I needed something a little bit more from either the script or the or the moment um i needed something that felt like aladdin where a boo touches the yes. ruby like yes. i i needed something that it was kind of out of her control because because at her core she is an abused sad little girl who mm-hmm. is eating rations and like would love would like I would have loved to have seen her like actually tempted by it, not just like oh my, you know I'll, I'll pop two grapes in my mouth like that type of a right. thing. If that makes yeah. sense. No, absolutely, I agree. Uh, there was there just needed to be a little bit like the, the moral complex needed to be uh, uh, heightened as opposed yeah, to just like sure. 
here, here are grapes and I'm just going to eat them with all of these like gorgeous little fairies just trying to get her to not. (laughs) Yeah. I also think that that's one of the interesting things about this movie. Like just to talk about grape gripes a little bit more. Grape Mm -hmm. gripes. Um, (laughs) Cause like the movie is very grounded in reality. Like it is ultra violent. Like the one side is very grounded and then you get to the other side. All these characters are archetypes from, from, fairy tales, even down mm-hmm. to the fact that the people in the woods were the woodsmen helping to hunt down the wolf, essentially, at the end. Yes. Like, all of that. And so I have the ability to um, to make the leap with them. Like, in terms of, like, if something feels a little bit, like, off, like, I get it because we're still we're still watching a fairy tale esque type thing, but if, you, if you're if you're gonna ground everyone's character motivations in something real, that's why the grape gripe sticks out to me more than yes. anything else in this movie. Grape gripes, TM. Yes. <laughs> Trademark grape gripes. Trademark grape gripes. Yeah. No, I agree because everything else I could suspend my disbelief because exactly like you said, Brian, it's all. Um, you can't ignore the fantasy aspect of it. Like it's all going to be incorporated even within the real world stuff. Um, because that's just the nature of the movie. But yeah, that one moment in particular just really stuck out to me as you're smarter than that. That's, that's not the case. Um, one quote that just made me chuckle a little bit was when the mother was talking about like having a baby, like she was getting really sick and, um, she said, having a baby is complicated. And then Ophelia was like, then I'll never have one. I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> Absolutely. That was funny. Um, I also thought what really got me, and I'll also say this like in when we do the four S's, like it wasn't scary, but it was so unsettling. Like I don't like dealing, I don't like watching um anything with people getting shot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's just a a huge thing for me. Like I'll see, you know, Freddie or Jason do like whatever to whoever, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But like the reality of just people like getting shot and especially in, in war or like police films and stuff Mm -hmm. like that's just not my Mm -hmm. bag. And it's always Mm -hmm. just very unsettling. So Mm -hmm. I will say the, and I'm sure we'll all talk about this too. The moment when the captain beat that, um, this, the son and the father, but he was beating the son with the bottle and I wasn't expecting them to show all of Mm. that. Cause I I didn't look at the rating either of what this movie was, but I was assuming because there were some magical aspects that it wasn't going to be too too gruesome, but the fact it's, that they show my that guess boy's is an face. R because they kill a child. I'm just throwing uh, that out there. I could be wrong. Yeah, and R, like producer Brian is looking it up. Yeah, it's R. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm really nailing these like little guesses of what the MPAA yes. would would yeah. do based on random things. So I think you're you, very good you. at that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But that makes sense. Like a, you, the opening scene is like a child dying. Uh, so, but. Yes, the the father son death was so unsettling and gruesome. Yeah. But I think it the actor that portrays the captain was fantastic, yeah. and I think that his storyline of like not wanting to deal with his emotions, talking about like his father when they're at the mm-hmm. table and, and like the mm-hmm. time of death of his father, and he's like, well, my father never wore a watch, but like the the sentimental aspect of like trying to fix the watch and then. Uh, going on with like carrying the legacy and then him wanting to be like, tell my son like when I died. And then they're mm-hmm. like, they're not even going to know your name. And I was like, mm-hmm. that is badass right I, there. I, I, that moment 
in that movie more than the death when mm-hmm. she says no he won't even know your name and like that's the thing that kills him before the bullet enters and it's so yes. satisfying it's mm-hmm. like it so satisfying that is one of the more I, in my i think that he is one of the greatest movie villains of all time yeah and because not only of like who he is, but what they show of that he does, and and because he's we we've, we've talked a lot on this podcast how um, villains don't get the deaths that they deserve a lot of yep. the times. Mm-hmm. To me, this was a perfect. This is very this was, satisfying. Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Jamie and I, when we were watching it, we finished it just before recording it, and like mm-hmm. I don't know, there was like when that happens, like we were both like. You could feel the energy in the room, like of like satisfaction, if that makes sense. Absolutely, because well, sure, it's coupled with something that's like so deeply upsetting. But it's like yes, it, the movie already ends on a sad note. So we got mm-hmm. you gotta give you gotta give me something a kernel of satisfaction <laughs> in that a kernel or a um, captain, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, no, a Nikisha. Captain? When you were talking about that scene with the father mm-hmm. and son, like mm-hmm. there are, this movie isn't overly graphic, but like the mm-hmm. moments where they do give you the, the like horror, the graphic horror, it's so intense and gratuitous. And also like, yes, very, very practical. Like they do such a good job with the effects that it's so mm-hmm. you're not, it's not constantly in your face. So it's very, very intentional when you are seeing it. Yes. And it's just mm-hmm. enough to to underscore like this guy is 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 not just like an intense captain, like trying mm-hmm. to win a war that it shouldn't even be happening. But he right. is like a true like psychopath. And that and, and these Absolutely. things are like it's just so it's so awful. Like I, I there's several moments of that that I had to look away. That's one of mm-hmm. them. The like post torture of um of the, the, the guy who stutters. Yeah, mm-hmm. when when mm-hmm. you see his hand, like it looks yes. so real. They do such a good job, and like I can't I can't look at it. Like there's other yeah. like gory things like saw that I don't really care about, but like this exactly this is so it just like hits you so hard, so much harder. I feel like, um, yeah. because of because the balance so much, of, of how yeah. they do it. Well, it's, it's so much, it's, there's so much layered in it because there's mm-hmm. already the intensity of the situation mm-hmm. underscoring, like you said, then the actual practical, cause it's not like Quentin Tarantino and like blood is everywhere. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like right. it's very much just like, and, and, and intentional, like you said, Jamie and this, and anytime, like, even when the captain is shot and like, it's just a close up on his face and like mm-hmm. the bullet and Oh, it, it was yeah. as satisfying as it was. That was still just like, ah, this yeah. is, this is a lot. Or like his face I, when, after he gets cut and he's like trying to yes. sew it back up and it's like, yeah. I can't Oof. watch this. It's so, it's too much for me. But like, again, yeah. other silly things I like, when they give it to you so much, you kind of get desensitized to it. Yes. And I feel like they, exactly they very much like place it, again, super intentionally where it is more effective because you're not, you're not expecting it, you know, interwoven with this like fairy tale story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the exact same thing too, Jamie, like all those points are dead on. You're not expecting that with, because you know that it's a fantasy Mm -hmm. movie 
And so having that much of realism ingrained in it, which I think is also why I enjoyed that part of the story a little bit more because Mm -hmm. it was so grounded, um, Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's, 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 um, when it comes, you're just so surprised by it because you're not thinking that that's what this is going to really be about. Um, I just have like two more things Mm -hmm. and, but give it up for Mercedes because I was not expecting her to be kind of like the final girl in the situation. Sure, Um, sure. But so that scene when she's getting captured and then she makes him the Joker and I'm like Joker Mm -hmm. origin stories. Um, (laughs) It's not the same thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then uh, when the doctor finally is like, I've had enough of this after, and he like is walking away. So like the captain kind of finds out that the doctor's been helping everyone, yeah. but the doc and the doctor is like also realizing that the captain knows, but he like walks away after he, you know, mercy kills the, the guy with the stutter and then get him getting shot in the back. That whole scene mm. oof, mm-hmm. that I'm getting like chills thinking, thinking about it because that was just so powerful for him to walk away and be like, I know that I'm about to die, but like I'm going out with the integrity uh, that I want to go out with, you know, especially after God knows what he had to do to, you know, be helping with the captain, but also be helping with his people uh, in the woods. So, yeah. And also um, when it comes to the captain and stuff like that, you know, we Jamie and I were talking because there's the sequence in the um, in the pale man's room where they show all the children's shoes. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. children's shoes are a very Holocaust image. Um, yeah. And while, this, okay. and, and while these are, and Jamie and I like paused the movie for a second and we actually talked about that because at first yeah. we were like, is this like too much? Like, should he have included this? And then we made the decision that because this takes place in 1944 and mm-hmm. even though these are not Nazis, these are fascist Spanish leaders, um, like it still is of the time. It's a very, right. it's a very, it's an image that most people know what it represents. So it adds that like gut feeling to it. And even mm-hmm. though as the second that it says 1944 at the top, at the very beginning of the movie, even if you don't know anything about the Spanish civil war and all the fallout after the Spanish civil war, it still mm-hmm. gives you Nazi world war two vibes. And that's enough Absolutely. to get by on in terms of historical reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's again. It's all about like the the atmosphere, right? Uh, and and knowing what the time period is, and so everything is just heightened because because of that exact thing. Um, the last thing I'll say, and we'll talk about this all together, is just I I did like the ending of her like leaving her physical body and joining back with um, her her family. But it is kind of like, did it really happen? Did it not happen? I would, because there was so much that was going on, I'd like to believe that it actually did happen. Mm-hmm. It's like giving some semblance of like a happy uh, ending. But um, overall, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time. And again, it was not Labyrinth. So I was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to go next? Um, I can go. Okay. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I want to say maybe this was like my third or fourth time. Um, And I couldn't remember a lot because it's this movie's been out like for a while. Um, I couldn't remember a lot except for like the the things that were seared into my brain were the pale man um, and 
knowing that the ending was sad and I couldn't remember exactly how everything was going to play out, but I knew it was sad. I was like 95% sure that she died at the end. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I like, couldn't remember how we got there. So I braced myself. Um, because as I've mentioned before on this podcast, again, this is just my opinion. Please do not come for me. But like my preference is not the films that end sadly. I I yeah, like yeah, films absolutely. as a form of escapism. So I want happy endings for all of my characters. Um, yes. So, sure. you know, here I am with a stuffy nose post-finishing this movie because it does <laughs> make me cry. Um, yes. But I, I really like this movie. I like the magical realism of it all. I mm-hmm. did have to re like do a, a brief wiki deep dive of like what is happening in Spain during this time just to get more of the context. You can still like get the gist, but like I just wanted to know exactly what was going on. Um, e- even if you right. don't like know anything about what's happening in Spain, like Brian said, like you can still watch this movie and like totally get it. And, and like, it, it's still very clear. Um, but I was just like, I, I want to know more about like what's happening. Um, I, I love Ophelia. I like, she's just such a good character. That's like very curious, but also like, you know, her head's in the clouds kind of thing. But I think, I think when you get the context of like her father's dead, um, she's living in like this, you know, during this time period where like her mom married somebody new that she doesn't like who she's trying to like force her to be her new dad. And Mm -hmm. like, we've, we don't, I don't think we really know how much time has passed between when her father died and, um, the captain becoming her new stepfather. Um, and like her mom being really sick. So it's like, it makes a lot of sense that she is this, you know, girl whose head is in the clouds, who's leaning into the fantasy of it all. As mm-hmm. a, again, like parallel as a form of escape, escapism. So like that, I just really enjoy her character as like the foil to everything that's happening in in reality. Um, I I also love the housekeeper. She's so good in this. Like yeah. she's just mm-hmm. so deeply sad, and like you get that, and like all of her interactions, but also like so contained. It's just very effective the way that she like is holding all of that and all of her interactions with the captain, but also has right. like so much compassion for Ophelia. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like the captain is a character that you love to hate. He's just mm-hmm. like, I was, I was reading like more in the Wikipedia and apparently that actor was like more of like a comedic melodramatic actor. And, oh. and like, he said like this is the most evil character I have ever played in my entire career so like to be able to channel that that, like man yeah like truly wildly effective in this role um and yeah as I was saying before when you were talking just like those those little like seeds of of horror that are planted periodically are so effective and then it, mm-hmm. it really contrasts nicely when you go back into the fantasy of it all where it's like you know here's reality reality is is horrible and then it's yes. like let's let's escape a little bit but also mm-hmm. where we're escaping to isn't really that much better no. it's, <laughs> it's just like 
it's it just slightly so, which I also like where it's not like, it's not all fantasy is good. It's like, it's still terrible. When she goes, like the pale man sequence is so good. When she goes and, and like first she sneaks in there with the chalk, which I think is a great, I, I love that little like tiny piece of magic. Um, Same. Like very children's story-esque. Um, then we get into this room and and I was like, I knew that he, I knew that the pale man like eats children and I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, like, did the, did the fawn tell her that he eats children? It's like panning around the room where he's like brutally murdering and, and yeah, chewing right. and stabbing <laughs> children. And I was like, oh, never mind. Like she gets it mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. by these pictures. Um, so like it's, it's, yes, it's fantastical, but it's still horrifying and like not great and then when she does eat the grapes and like activates the pale man he fucking not only does he eat the fairies but he like chews their heads off and like pulls away where you see like bits still attached like Like it's it's awful it's terrible and and so like this this girl who even in her fantasies is still seeing these harsh realities that are, that are so brutal and awful. And like that, all of that is to say that like, I really like that because it's not just, you know, seeing the best of everything a hundred percent of the time. It's still like Mm -hmm. reality is, is, it can't help but seep its way into her fantasy. And, and like that I think is what makes this a really effective film for me um Mm. i also have the gripe of like the grape gripe um where it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me but i was thinking about it more and i think that's when she maybe had gotten in trouble for getting her dress dirty and went to bed without eating and so like she might have Mm. actually been really hungry and that's Mm. why the temptation was was higher but like if it was any other day i had a really hard time believing that only because as a result of being the new stepdaughter of the captain, like they are gorging themselves on, on everything. So in that right. scene where like, they're all eating and stuff, but if she went to bed without any food, I could see the temptation then being greater and made a comment that this was her, uh, her, um, her wait for me moment. Um, if you're familiar with Hades town, uh, yes. <laughs> and that story of, um, you're the seed, but, uh, yes. Yeah, so that that really bothers me. Um, not really bothers me, but I was just like annoyed by that. Um, wait for me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so and, we have a lot uh, of yeah. You know, wait for me moment. Grape gripes. This is this is great. This is good yes. stuff. <laughs> um, I there's also like a moment again with like the mandrake root where I guess the mm-hmm. line between what's real, what's not real. I mean, it's all magical realism, which like I, I double major than Spanish in college. And so like I, I, it was more literature focused. And so Mm. magical realism, like is definitely a huge literary device in, um, a lot of like Latin literature. Um, so, so like I get it, but also I was like, uh, it's like I can't tell. Can they? Can they see that? Like it's hap- Like I don't know. Or like we're just seeing so much through her lens that it doesn't really matter because that's that's just what she's experiencing. She's like, no, you're 
you're preventing my mom from getting better. Like I, I was trying to help. She doesn't say anything in that moment, but like just seeing the mantric root get thrown in and like hearing right. the cries, it's like, oh, does nobody Oy. else hear the cry? Like, you know, but again, mm. it's not really, it's not a super gripe. I think that's just contending with the magic realism that's happening. Um, sure. But also, yeah. I didn't know that you double majored in Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, I I double majored in psych and Spanish. Um, I really wanted, I mean, I wanted to do like a hundred different things um, yes. during that time. I mean, I always wanted to be a therapist, but mm-hmm. there was a moment where I was like, oh, I could be a Spanish teacher. And then I was like, oh, I could be a translator. Um, mm-hmm. But translation's really hard, uh, if, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, and oh. I, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like, I, I, did the major because I also studied abroad in Spain and mm-hmm. I didn't want to, Oh, I thought you were going to make your abroad jokes again. Like you did last time I said, Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I would only make it if you said when I was abroad. Mm, okay. Well, <laughs> like, when I was abroad, yeah. she was abroad. in Spain. Oh, she was abroad. Hey, <laughs> see, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because I wanted to do that study abroad program, I, I ended up just getting enough credits to like make it count. So I was like, might as well, might as well just like finish this out. Um, and then I forgot everything that I learned. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was way more literature focused and that wasn't my, that, that was not necessarily what I wanted to do with my major, but that was just the Mm -hmm. courses that they had available. So One more question about it, (laughs) because every time we talk about magical realism, I just get get sent back to high school. And because the term that I associate that with is the book Like Water for Chocolate. Did you ever have to read that book? Yeah, I read it. No. Okay. And it's like a a Mexican, um, like magical realism, like love story type thing. But I just, that when you said literature, that was like, Mm. oh, well, have you read this book? But anyway, yes. Oh, it's a Sorry, keep going. it's a movie too. Yeah, it's yeah. a movie too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't we, know wa- that. we read the book and watched the movie. Yeah, maybe I did have to read it, but I, I, you know, I graduated college a very long time ago. I actually <laughs> can't remember any most of the things that I had read during that time. Um, yes, but uh, what else was I going to say? I just like this movie a lot, yeah. and it makes me very sad. And <laughs> and I cry at the end a lot. That's valid. All of that is valid. <laughs> Those are my. Yep. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, and uh, the effects. The effects are incredible. That's a huge oh, uh, like. Yeah. Like it's just between the like the CGI. I feel like is is very not super heavily used. Um, like right. you get it for the fairies and things like that. But I do think they mm-hmm. try really like the makeup and, and just like the practical effects. Um, I think they use Gorgeous. like animatronics in this as well. Like all of that is so good. Um, I also love something else that we had looked up while we were watching this is that Doug Jones, Doug Jones is not a Spanish actor. He's an American actor. So right. I was like, <laughs> did he voice his his character because he plays both um, the fawn and the pale man. So I was like, oh, he's doing mm-hmm. double duty. I mean, the pale man doesn't mm-hmm. talk, but the fawn does. And I was like, mm-hmm. does he know Spanish? And apparently, um, Guillermo del Toro was like, you have to do this. They've worked. They've collaborated on several projects now. Um, 
or at the time, I think only only Hellboy, but like since mm. from present time, they've worked together a lot. And so he was like, "I, you're going to be both of these characters." And Doug Jones was like, "I don't speak Spanish." And Guillermo del Toro was like, "It's cool, like you can just do it phonetically." But Doug Jones was like, "No, I want to like if I'm doing this part, I want to do this part." Like he no, learned, but yeah, he learned the script. Like he learned the script in Spanish and and like performed it in Spanish. However. They did end up dubbing him at the end, but the actor who dubbed him was able to like use his mouth movements so that he, so that it was like more accurate dubbing. So I thought that was awesome. really fascinating and like props yeah. to Doug Jones for, for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I'm sure that made it easier for the person to dub too as well. Sure. Like yeah. to, to match up with his, uh, with his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So just another, another practical thing that like, I think is really, really cool. Yes. Also, well, this is going to be so random too, but not random. The only thing that I associated Pan's Labyrinth with was uh, um, there's a Bob's Burgers episode, a Halloween episode, and Louise dresses up as a Peter Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> so she has a Peter Pan outfit on like with the hat but then like she has the eyes on her oh, hands. Oh, that's so clever. And yes. Just like another reason if you don't watch Bob's Burgers to just watch Bob's Burgers or at least the Halloween episodes because they're fantastic. <laughs> but she was Peter Pan's Labyrinth and it was fantastic. That's an excellent trivia name too. Mm. Ooh. Yes. Make a group. We usually do Make The happen. King and I, Tanya. Yeah. Oh. <gasps> The King and I, Tanya. That's fantastic. <laughs> but now I like Peter Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. yeah. Done. <laughs> done and done. All right, Brian, give us your likes and gripes. Sure. So um, I want to start off with just a little story. I use mine once also has to do Once upon a time. With, once upon <laughs> a time. So I when, before I went abroad in 2007. Oh, uh, went abroad, eh? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to, I don't know if you, I don't, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I used to do movie days where I would plan my day at the movie theater and I would get there at like 11 o'clock, 10, first showing in the morning. I'd plan the whole day and I'd see like five movies in one day. I would usually oh, wow. do this in December or January um, in order, and I would post my schedule online and people would join me for movies like one or the other or whatnot. Um, I don't do it anymore. However, um, I had to do one. I would either do it in January or December of the year before just to, like, get in all those type of movies. And this year, I <clears throat> I had to do one very quickly before I went to London. So I had a day where it was Letters from Iwo Jima, the World mm. War II movie that was this kind of the sequel or the spiritual successor to um, uh, Flags of My Fathers or whatever it's called by Clint Eastwood. Then I saw mm-hmm. Children of Men. Which, oh, is, which has become one of my favorite movies of all time. That's Alfonso Baron. Yeah. Who also, I think, helped produce this. Is that right, Jamie? Yeah, he did. Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I saw Pan's Labyrinth, and you can see here I still have my ticket stub. Ooh. Um, That's $11 awesome. $11 in Theater One and the Empire 25 in New York City. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, that was one hell of a day. I saw, like, two... <laughs> I saw two That's exceptional movies 
I mean, the, the Letters from Iwo Jima was actually pretty good too. But I saw two exceptional exceptional movies that day. Um, so that's my that, yeah. and this is only my second time actually seeing Pan's Labyrinth all the way through. Um, mm. I thought this movie is. I mean, this movie is still great. Um, I'll start with my gripes. Um, uh, well, my favorite is Jamie's gripe, which she said during the watching of this. That's not how you cut a salad. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> the, the, the older woman when they're doing that. Um, my second favorite. This is a like <laughs> and a gripe from this movie. When Mercedes like stabs him in the back. And then he turns mm-hmm. around, and she stabs him one more time in the um, in, in the <laughs> shoulder, awesome. and then we and then stabs the and then movie. like yeah, <laughs> and so I was just like Jamie's, gesturing, like keep going, girl, keep going. Also Jamie's that yes, literally I was like, sitting Go! there. She's not saying anything. She's just <laughs> doing a stab motion. Just and doing stab like, motions. <laughs> yeah, like air stab motions. Yeah, and I That's was like, I was like, I definitely married the right person, but I'm also afraid now. Um, <laughs> That's how. Listen, cancers all the way. You love them, but you're a sometimes, little bit afraid of them, and that's yeah. great. Yeah. She doesn't do it anymore, but sometimes she would, like, we'd hug or, like, kiss or something like that. And then, like, after, like, the nice moment, she, she'd, like, she'd like fake stab me in the side and go, step, stab. <laughs> like, shank, shank. <laughs> or, like, something like that. Or I'd be passing her in the kitchen or something like that, and then she'd just, like, like step, stab. Like, like she doesn't, doesn't do it anymore, but I always thought that was charming, which is, you know, a whole... Yes. No, that's another conversation. Oh, that's, the, that's the dynamic, though. Also, yeah, Jamie, you have to continue that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why did I stop? Anyway, right. I don't know. Why? Now, and now but, I have to take it on, too. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was step, one step. of my... That was my... my, my that was also a gripe of mine where it's like, keep going, mm-hmm. girl. Like, get yeah. him, get him, get, finish him. Finish him. Finish yeah. him. Finish him. <laughs> um, Jamie actually said it really well, but one of my questions for the group was, did the CGI take you out of it at all at any point? Never. Mm-mm. I was just amazed at how great it was yeah. for the year. Okay. That's yeah. fair. Uh, what about you? It, it does, yeah, it always will. CGI, unless it is perfect, will always take me out of a movie. Not in a bad mm. way, but it just always will. Um, what was a what was a particular scene that you were like, well? Um, uh, I think the flower at the end should the flower at the very end. If it was, um, mm. if it was like stop motion or something like that, would have been more pleasing to me. Um, I thought that the Mandrake sometimes uh, was the the couple of times that the Mandrake is CG, like when it first turns into a Mandrake, was a little bit like took me out of it. And then some shots of the like bug fairy in the first sequence took me out of it. But Mm. it never, never doesn't ruin the movie for me at all because the the practical effects are just like above and beyond. Um, Yeah. I like how quick this movie is. Like, a couple of words, and boom, we're right into it. They're on their way to the the compound. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that the sound design of this movie is spectacular. That moment at the beginning where when she touches the stone and puts it into the the slab for the first time, Mm -hmm. everything cuts out, and it's just her and the magic. And I Mm -hmm. really liked that. Um, On the flip side of that, the leather sound effects, his gloves... At the end, them getting on and off the horses, um, like and the leather on the horses, their boots. That leather sound effect was like very. Um, 
intense. And then the bullets coming out of the woods at the end when they kill everybody. Um, th- th- one, that was a very satisfying, like all those um, fascists being killed by the men in the woods. When they were trying to chase Mercedes. Mercedes <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very satisfying. And the, sa- the bullets through the woods, like that, like that, like, that like ping and then like the thwomp of it hitting a body was very satisfying mm-hmm. in a weird way. Um, I like, again, my like is that the villain is fantastic in every mm-hmm. aspect of being a villain. I thought he was at, because, because you also understand why people fear him. You understand mm-hmm. why people are making, making, you know, jolly with him at dinner and stuff like that. Like he has aspects of himself that are charming very clearly because even though the mom was a probably under dis- duress anyway, just because the war was over, she didn't have a husband anymore. This like right. man of stature was like interested in her. I also like that they don't explicitly say it, nor do we think it could be real or not. But those two ladies at the dinner say something like, um, Oh, so interesting that like it happened so quickly. And like the husband died and like, like they, mm-hmm. they and I don't think that the movie and Jamie was like, did he kill the father? Yeah, we, I I have this like p- uh, like p- implanted memory where I thought that he killed the husband in order yeah. to like marry her, and they like literally never say anything about that. So I was like, where did I get this idea from? But it does feel mm-hmm. weird that interaction. Yeah, right. yeah, and. In hindsight, the reason I like that moment is because they don't explicitly say it, but they put this idea in your head. And that is kind of like this like um, this moment where it's like, oh, because they even think he could be able to do that, like automatically as a viewer, like this guy is evil, even if he didn't do that. Like he he, people think he could have done that. And that's enough. Right. Um, Their perception of him changes in that. Yeah, totally. I thought that the f- I wrote the fairy transition was awesome when the bug turns into the fairy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I really like the kind of the Captain Hook, the clock, his time running out, um, his legacy, his son stuff. I thought that was really interesting and deeply motivating for that villain, and it made for me. Sure. Because, like, he believes in his, his his political party or whatever it is. He loves the power. And then he wants a legacy. I thought all that was really interesting, especially with the father story we talked about at the beginning. But something I also really liked about that aspect of things is that I thought that what made him a great villain is that he knew his flaw. He even mm-hmm. says that, like, my flaw, you found my flaw, my weakness, it's my pride. Like, he knows. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a mm-hmm. lot of villains who are completely oblivious to what their flaws are, whether it's a part of narcissism or whether it's just, you know, just being blind to whatever it is. I, I To me, that makes him a more interesting villain and a, wor- and a more villainous villain because he knew that. And that transition line where he's like, but we're not talking about my weaknesses or, like, whatever he says to Mercedes was spectacular. Spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, her failing the fawn and not giving her the third task. I love how Jamie mentioned this earlier. I love how it corresponds with just before her mom dying because she knows how dire the situation is. So the fawn is reflecting the true bottom that she's at. And then when the mother dies and she's locked in her room and the fawn comes to be like now she's at her bottom 
again, yeah. but the fawn comes back. In another movie, I'd be like, the fawn wouldn't just like give her a third chance. But because of where the story and the narrative is at that time, you understand why her imagination is all of a sudden conjuring up the fawn again. Um, and mm, I love that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so my, my, and I love this movie. I think it is well acted. I think it's one of the, I, th- I would argue that it's one of the better um, child performances I've ever seen. Um, mm, they picked her out of a amazing. thousand kids. That's amazing. Nice. And she won the Goya Award. We're talking about Goya. We should have just done a series oh, on Goya yeah. Award winners for like <laughs> Best <true>. Newcomer <laughs> or something like that. It's mm. wonderful. Um, but the thing that I will say, and I want to ask, and I'll reiterate again. It, oh, I love that she also mentioned <clears throat> briefly when she's talking to the baby in her. First of all, oh, one of my gripes was like, I don't know if I like the like going inside and seeing the fetus type of thing. That wasn't yeah, my favorite I that. Um, <laughs> at the beginning. But um, I, I really like when she's talking to the, her brother at the at the in the in the middle, and she's like, you know, mom, he gets sad for a couple of days. But like, so like uh, maybe we're supposed to infer that like the mom at least post dad dying was like depressed this was her way of filling that hole the way that because mm. she says like you wouldn't understand or something to that like I was lonely she's like well you have me it's like no when you're older you'll understand like mm. I like the idea that the mom is filling her loneliness and sadness and despair with this man with like power and on all of that but the the kid fills it with the stories and like disassociating with those stories so my question for you all is what actually happened? Do you (laughs) think that the fawn and stuff were actually real and only she could see them? Do you think it was just her way of dissociating? Does it not matter? Because if she thinks she sees them, they're real to her and they helped her through the situation. Like, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, so I'll just open that up to discussion. Yeah. I'll say I, I like the last thing that you said and never thought of it in that aspect, but I think that's what I agree the most with is that it doesn't matter because it got her through it. And even if she actually died, her mind manifested her going to a better place. And so I think that that kind of filled, filled the void for her soul. Um, even though her physical body is dead. So yeah, I I think it, as much as I want there to be a direct answer, <laughs> I, sure. I think I like the idea of it, um, it, that it doesn't matter because that was the thing that, um, she went through a lot of different stuff. And so this was the thing that kept her, um, kept her going and kept her spirits up, you know? Um, so yeah, I'll go with that. What about you, Jamie? Jamie? Yeah, I think I agree where like, it doesn't really matter, but it does like the ending is sad, but like, there's, it, it's bittersweet because it's like, oh, at least, you know, she believed that she accomplished this. And like, that's the last thing that she thinks of before she dies. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that's, there's, there's hope that, you know, she does in fact become a princess in her mind. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. great. Right. Wipe the tears And that's away. just like so beautiful. I know. Oh, like, <laughs> so I, I know. I was crying right. on this one too. I, I agree <laughs> with you too. I think it's the if I'm going to really break it down, I don't think any of it was real. I think that she was pretending the whole time, but it was her way of dissociating. Therefore, if she saw it and she felt it, then it was real. And I think that everything correspondable was happening. Do I think she put like ginger and milk under the bed? And when her mom started to get better, she thought it was that. But it was just a bell curve, you know, like and, yeah. and the idea that her mom threw 
what really upsets me is that her last interaction with her mom is her mom kind of throwing that into the fire and then getting angry with her. Be- I think because the mom is so afraid of the husband. Like, the mom yes. is a very different person when she's just with the kids and, and when the husband is there. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, there's a lot to say about all of that stuff. Um, I, and I think that, you know, I love the last line where it's like, if people know where to look, they'll see this person's impact on the world. And mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of ways to look at that. I think that the first way to look at that is is the most literal version, which is her brother. She saved her brother and she was able to, you know, in, in some ways she was able to help the freedom fighters um, and all of that. And, and she was able and she 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 weakened. Um, the, the captain. captain by drugging him. Like there was a lot that she did that actually helped, you know, in, in terms of the tangible things that she did. Mm-hmm. But the other things that she did, and plus her name is Ophelia. So like, you, you know, there's a, uh, there's a connotation that comes with Ophelia in terms of like being this flower, this oleander, this, this yeah. type of like beautiful, innocent creature that is taken advantage of by the men in her life, whether it's Ophelia from Hamlet or whether it's this one. Um, and, and, but, and so if you, the, the, I, it's either like orchid, you know, you have that flower at the end representing Ophelia, um, which I thought was beautiful, but then you also have. Um, the idea that like she changed Mercedes life and she in some ways she made Mercedes a mom and Mm -hmm. like and the idea that like I I like that idea that like Mercedes has that comment about like you know she's like oh you you know under my nose because you're a woman or whatever and she's like but that's why you didn't notice me you idiot exactly you know what Mm -hmm. I mean Mm -hmm. and then and I, I just like the idea of like because he's such an egotistical, misogynist, prideful, like, man, he missed all of the things that were his eventual downfall. Um, right. But at, at the very end of it, to me, and I think I read that Guillermo del Toro said this at some point, this movie is, is, is at its simplest forms, just a fairy tale with... Um, a fairy tale with an allegory um, that essentially in the end is fight fascism at any costs. Mm. And, you know, she gave her life for the cause of these people yep. in the woods. Um, yeah. And, and also something I should mention, I'm just thinking of this now, is she also had um, Schindler's List red um, coat girl vibes as well as Anne Frank vibes in terms of what she looked mm. like. Yes. And I think yes. that kind of adds to how you feel about this character. Um, but, yeah, it was deeply sad, but, you know, she was brave. She's probably one of the braver people in this whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately she doesn't make it, which was kind of foreshadowed in the, in a lot of like the piece, but um, yeah. Yeah. Really. Sometimes you have yeah. to take the evil down with yourself. Right. But mm-hmm. it's also like a beautiful thing to think that she was experiencing these magical things in the midst of all of the horror yeah. that was like surrounding her. And that was her, that was her escape. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful yeah. she that she could still, yeah, right. Yes, you get rewarded for it. You know, like that. Um, still having her imagination. You know, still being creative in the midst of all of, of of all that stuff is also just like a beautiful kind of theme throughout. So, grand. Well, should we get into the next section? Let's talk about some mm, brains. Mmm, yum. Tasty, tasty. <laughs> so many brains. <laughs> Um, so Jamie, you already kind of mentioned this, but I'm just going to ask, uh, again. 
So I would love to Billy or Stu, our captain. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos for creative. It's a screen, baby. Billy or Stu. <laughs> but you already kind of mentioned like psychopathic vibes. So if you could just dive a little deeper. Yeah. Please into that. I, I was thinking about this. There's a part of me that thinks maybe he's more stew-like only because I don't think that he he's doing a lot of like reacting to what's happening like oh, they're, they're obviously plotting a like you know a counter offense and like like there's all war speak happening so there's a lot of mm-hmm. like plotting and planning and things like that but his reactions the things that we're seeing the grotesque violence around is like reactions to things so when they come upon the father and son who are hunting for rabbits when they capture one of the one of the rebels and and like is preparing for torture like a lot of it is like reactive and feels less thoughtful where i feel like the Mm. the billy side is this like really intentional planning of what is happening in terms of like how you're causing harm to people. But with Absolutely. Stu, it's like just kind of reacting and going along with what's happening in the moment and feels less like planned out. So I kind of got more Stu vibes because of like, it's just, it, it's like this impulsive reaction in each moment with no regard to like humanity. So yes, like an impulsive, you know, hit this guy in the face or like, just Step do out. do whatever torture mm-hmm. I feel like I need to do in order to get the answers that I'm looking for. For sure. So can I can I ask like a f- weird follow up question to that? Um, no. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, but um, go forth. Uh, yes. Um, would a con would the context in which all this is happening affect whether they are a Billy or a Stu? Because Billy and Stu had to kind of like secretly hide who they were, or Dexter mm-hmm. has to hide who he is in in media. And in real life, mm-hmm. if you're a sociopath or whatnot, you have to kind of hide who you are in the norms of society, norms in quotes. But this is this is wartime and he's in a position of power. So he doesn't necessarily have to hide the fact that like he maybe is a sociopath or a psychopath because he is given free reign essentially to do it. Mm-hmm. Does that affect any of that or are you still a stew or a billy regardless of what context you're in no that's that's a really interesting the good question good question thank you yeah because it's like he he isn't like he has all the power so you know he doesn't have to conceal his his true nature if you will like to the degree that like he's still he's not just like killing random people. He's killing people who he, it's like still under the, the guys, I guess, or like under this belief system of like what right. side he's on and believing mm-hmm. it so, into, so fervently. And so like, it's connected to that. But I do think that there is this level of like, he does have all the power. So no one's going to question him if he just like, kill somebody like no one Mm -hmm. no one's asking about it it's also very like no one's questioning the fact that the captain of the army is the is the one doing the torture 
like that he doesn't have a guy for that seemingly yeah. like why is yeah. he the one that needs to that needs to do this and he tells everyone to leave him every time like he's right, he right, just right. you know like i feel like there's something there where nobody really reacts but i feel like the scene with the father and son like everyone is there watching this happen and no one says anything but like there's some energy there after he kills them both, especially yeah. when he pulls the rabbit out of the yep. bag because mm-hmm. they're sa- the father and son are just saying like, he's just hunting rabbits. Like there's no rebellion. Like we're just regular schmoes here. And right. obviously he doesn't believe them because that's like his perception is just constantly from the beginning of the film that like they're, they're being like, not persecuted because they're the ones in power, but like that they're mm-hmm. being undermined at, at every step of the way. And so for, for the reality to hit that, like they were really just regular people, you know, hunting rabbits. And then him saying like, next time you bring me people, make sure that they act like confirm these suspicions. But like, mm-hmm. no one says anything about like, you just killed two innocent people. Yeah. Right. And also, he doesn't really like, he doesn't seem to feel any remorse for that either. He's just like, no, it's an interesting comment to make for someone who doesn't have any regard for, for human life. Um, right. Because otherwise it's just like, yeah, who cares about these people? You know, like there's something about that. Um, so I think it's interesting that he says that to them because otherwise, like, I I don't think that he cares about other people. Yeah. Right. When he's about to torture Mercedes at the end, um, his second in command or whatever it is, is like, he basically says, like, do you want me to stay back? Like, I I guess you could take that in a couple of ways. You can take it in terms of, like, he wants to be a part of the action. Or, but because of his answer where he says, like, you think I can't handle a woman or something like that? Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. To me, it's like the second in command is almost nervous for this woman because they know how sadistic the, the captain is. Exactly. And only and only when she attacks the captain and like that's when he gets aggressive to that's when the second in command gets aggressive to her, like when they're in the woods chasing after her, because mm-hmm. he hurt the captain, who in turn like is his boss and like what I thought that dynamic, even if it was only in like one or two parts of a scene, was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I mean that's that whole scene in general was just a lot to to unpack as far as just like the 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 pride of the captain and just the dynamic of like this is I don't know it makes sense what you're saying Jamie as far as him just reacting to things and not really planning through because like he's not even thinking about this woman either as like mm-hmm. a, a threat he's just mm-hmm. like here we are this is what I'm going to do you know like so that that absolutely makes sense and they're not he's not also going out and saying this is what we're going to do we're going to go capture one of them and like torture them and get them to talk and then it's like no people got caught and then Mm -hmm. as a result he's like okay well now let's see or even when they're in the forest and they do kill some of the uh rebellion but they're still looking for like they're like oh well let's Mm -hmm. look for a live one Mm -hmm. so that we can like you know see if we can get them to talk and stuff like that so that he was easily fooled and tricked like they blew up the train and then he was like oh yeah and then like but he also was clever like he was able to deduce 
it, yes. like small details. Like that's how he figured out mm-hmm. about the doctor. He figured out about Mercedes. Like he figured out right. these small connections that seemingly like mm-hmm. no one else was paying attention to. And mm-hmm. and I, I think part of that is like he put himself in positions where like he's the only one that has this information for whatever sure. reason. But uh, like fair. in that yeah. way, it's like, oh, you are super clever, but you still got like you still got tricked. Right, because they still went and got all the food and stuff and medicine, like, because he was distracted with the trains, you know, like, all that stuff. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, uh, my last question is more so I'm thinking of um, Ophelia and in the situation that she was in with her mom being sick and then eventually dying, and then she's under the care of someone that is not great and not taking care of her and not, you know, thinking about her. And so that just made me think uh, about, you know, when social services has to be called for a child that's not being taken care of in whatever form or facet, and thinking, like, Ophelia really didn't have anybody that could, like, help her. I mean, Mercedes was, like, trying to help her, but also, like, Mercedes had all of her other stuff, like, going on. Um, So I just wanted to ask the general question of, like, if a child... General question. General question. If a child was being abused but didn't um, have an adult to go to to try to get help, like, how could they seek out that potential help? And I know you've worked a little bit with... Um, that kind of environment. So I was like, let me see if Jamie knows an answer. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I dabbled in foster care for like a year. That was like the briefest mm-hmm. stint that I did. Um, and I mean, it's so, it's really complicated because I think it depends on like, it definitely depends on context. So like if there isn't like a, a family member that they can go to, to talk about mm-hmm. like what's happening to them, potentially there are other avenues where they can talk to somebody um, because there are a lot of professionals who are mandated reporters, meaning, uh, you know, you're required per your, your field. If you have a a license of some kind um, or the population that you work with, that you're uh, required to be trained in seeing signs of child abuse and neglect. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, like legally obligated to report it to the the local child protective services that you are like it's state by state. Um, right. So that could be school. If she's attending school, um, I, I think like most, if not all, professionals working in a school. So not just like a school counselor, but like teachers, the principal, Any teacher, yeah, everybody, administrative, who, yeah, yeah, all admin. Um, and like support and things like that in a school are all mandated reporters. So like if she was attending Mm. school in contemporary times, uh, that, you know, telling a teacher would then be a space where like they can file a report on, on that Mm. child's behalf. Um, doctors and like medical professionals are also mandated reporters. So like if she had the doctor's appointment, um, and, and like, you know, was able to tell a doctor as well. So there's like other spaces okay. where there are mandated reporters, even if like a family member is not, even if the family member actually like is the perpetrator, um, right. Or, or a family member is enabling, uh, abuse or neglect so that that makes them like a not safe person to talk to about it, that there are mm-hmm. other spaces, but it is hard. Also like, you know, depending on how old a, a child is and like that has access to a phone, like, 
in theory, you can't, not in theory, but like you can self-report, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've read about anecdotes of like young, young people, I would say. So like probably like preteen or teenage that are still under the age of 18, um, who have called directly or like have called 911, um, yeah. and, and like that intervention. So, um, you know, not like it shouldn't be a situation where a young person has to contact them on, on their behalf. I mean, it also shouldn't be a situation where they're being abused and neglected at all, but you know, this is the reality. So, um, so yeah, like anyone and like anyone can call, you don't have to be a mandated reporter that, that really just means that like you are, you are legally obligated to, and like have received the training and stuff, but like you could be, you can just be like a regular bystander and still call Mm -hmm. like there's no rule saying like you're not allowed to um and like nothing there's even a um an anonymous line so like if you're not totally sure um you can call the anonymous line report Mm -hmm. the information that you do know and then they will tell you whether or not you actually need to make the report um so like that's also an option for folks if they if they're not sure if they need to report it like i've thought about like situations where I've been on, and and this is also like, if you're a mandated reporter, it's not just in the context of your work. So like, for example, Mm -hmm. I've been on the subway before and, uh, like I'm not on duty for anything. I'm just like commuting and I've seen things that I'm like, uh, like I am a mandated reporter and I am obligated to report, even though it's a complete stranger that just like happens to be on my commute that like, I don't know them from like anyone else, but like, yes falling under behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Falling under the, um, under the obligation to report. And like, if for whatever reason I didn't and it somehow, you know, they figured out that I happened to be in that train car and didn't say anything like that could, that could potentially be like a bad consequence. So like it it does fall outside of just like your job. That makes, I mean, but that absolutely makes sense. And it's good to know that I didn't even think about being in school and teachers because that would be definitely a go-to of mm-hmm. um, a way to a, for a child to be able to seek help in that way. Yeah. Um, but great. Awesome. That's all that I have for brains. Should we mm-hmm. uh, rotten tomato? Rotten tomato. Let's rotten tomato this bad boy. Rotten yeah. tomato. That was all me right. eating a rotten tomato. Oh. Uh. Oh. <laughs> Also, I don't like I, I was with anyway, so. I got you. <laughs> All right. I'm a tomato hater. What do you, what do, what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? It's gotta be high. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say like 86. Oh, I was gonna say like 98. Oh. All oh, right. This has a 95 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, great. Dang. Yeah. Good job, um, and the audience Good score job. is 91. Nice. Uh, yeah. So um, the critic consensus is <clears throat> Pan's Labyrinth in, is Alice in Wonderland for grown-ups, with the horrors of both reality and fantasy blended together into an extraordinary spell-binding fable. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Alice in Wonderland is also creepy. <laughs> Yeah. It's very creepy. Um, 
All right. So we're doing a new thing where what do you think the average out of five on letterboxes from like mm. just viewers uh, from 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 people? Um, remember, you can do decimals. So yes. anywhere between 0.0 and 5.0. Um, what do you think this has? The average. I think like a 4.7. Yeah, I was going to say 4.6. 4.2. Oh, mm. nice. Um, and one of the most, let's see. Um, <laughs> um, so the two, some of the most liked comments on this are, bro, where the fuck was David Bowie? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, my exactly. God. Just saying. <laughs> Actually, wait. The, the top comments on this, like, are you think we wrote them? The next one is <laughs> Ophelia risked her life for some grapes. I ain't forget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Hashtag never forget. Yeah. Another another good one is I would have turned around the second I saw that big fuck frog. <laughs> that frog was creepy. It's scary. And then my favorite one is be honest. If this had been released in 2018, how many of you would have decided you wanted to fuck the fawn? <laughs> Damn. People have no chill. <laughs> People, the internet has no chill no. whatsoever. So um, no. Daddy, Daddy fawn. little freaks. Daddy fawn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we do the four S's? Yes. Yeses. Skull, scare, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. <laughs> All right. The four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Uh, we are here to rate skulls, scares, and shakes one through ten. Skulls is how well do you think it handled mental health and human behavior. Scares is how scary was it. And then shakes is how much will this stick with you. Um, and then we'll give some suggestions. Jimmy, why don't you start us off with your, uh, your skulls, scares, and shakes? Sure. I'm like adjusting them as I'm getting ready to say them. Um, so <laughs> for skulls, I, I was torn between the six and the seven. I, I, yeah. I put a six. Um, it's hard because like there's so many fantastical elements of this, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll give it a seven because I don't think that necessarily <laughs> a lot of people are making bad Choices. I do think that a lot of people are are like very much being human in the things that are, you know, motivating them and things like that. Maybe maybe a few people could have made a few better decisions here and there, but like nothing nothing overly stands out. Um, for scares, I'm giving it a three um, because this movie doesn't have like a good amount of jump scares, but there are some very disturbing images as we talked about, um, and just a mm -hmm. lot of tension building. And then for shakes, I'm giving this a six um, mm -hmm. just because, like, I realized I couldn't remember a lot of this movie, but the overall tone had really resonated with me. And, like, just it's just a great it's so good. Everyone should see it. Yeah. Jamie, we almost had the same scores until you changed oh, your skulls to oh seven. No. What did I so <laughs> it's skulls was a six. Scares was a three. Shakes was a six for me. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie again. Right. We're on the same wavelength. Um, yeah, it was definitely not what I was expecting. So my expectations were very low. But then it was, I mean, it got me. 
it was very good, uh, mm-hmm. and I would definitely highly recommend that people see it as well. Um, cool. Uh, Skulls, I had a seven. Uh, same reasons. I also think that they show children disassociating pretty well, like in general. Yeah. Um, uh, scares, I gave it a five. It's not scary, but it just leaves you with such... And maybe that maybe I'm combining sh- shakes into this too much, but it just leaves mm. you with this mm. like it just you know the the yuckiness. It gives you that Holocaust movie feeling in some places that I don't like living with. Um, so For I would sure. put that in scares. Um, mm. And then shakes, I gave this a nine because mm. of all the movies, the fantasy movies, the horror movies, the Guillermo del Toro movies. I will never forget the Fawn. The Pale Man, as Jamie said, the tone of this movie, the villain, Mm -hmm. like I only saw this once before and I remembered all of those those images and the feeling that this movie gives you and just the it just seared into my mind. And like to me, this is an all time great movie. And to me, this is the movie that puts Guillermo del Toro. Don't get me wrong. Like a lot of his movies are wonderful and spectacular. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I haven't even, I know he produced it, but I have not watched, um, his cabinet of curiosities on Netflix. I haven't watched any of those. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, he's one of the greats, just the way that he can make you, I didn't, oh, I I didn't see Pinocchio, which like I Mm. should see, you know, like there's so much of his work that I haven't seen. And yet like, he he like everything just sticks with you. He just you know he bump, just knows. Bump my shakes up to an eight. I don't know why I gave it a six. That wasn't that wasn't <laughs> good. I I agree. This this I think is my favorite of his movies by far. Yeah. Oh, we don't like fucking frogs. Fucking uh, fucking <laughs> semen. Wasn't a frog? What? No, he was a he was a creature. It was a water fish. A fish. It was a fish. It was, it was a fish. fish. You don't like fucking fish. You don't like fucking fish. Um, also, Crimson anyway. Peak is like very like. Oh, yeah. that's my suggestion. Oh, I'm oh, so sorry. Well, segue. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> I'll just I'll just see myself out of here. <laughs> Let me just roll out of the frame. Rolling out. Yeah, no, because I, I really enjoyed Crimson Peak. Uh, I saw that movie in theaters, and I thought that that kind of like magical realism too. On top of, I I love his. Uh, aesthetic mm-hmm. of his movies like it's very gothic yeah. you know and um the color scheme and just like how he films things mm-hmm. like it's very much something that is uh pleasing to my eyes so uh when watching this i was thinking of crimson peak so cool yeah jamie um i was thinking of other things that have the like kind of magical realism vibes so I have two, um, one, I get, I mean, neither of them are particularly scary. Uh, the first one is Edward Scissorhands, um, mm-hmm. also from a director that has like a very specific, unique, like lens and aesthetic and vibe. Um, mm-hmm. and then the other one I chose is Birdman, which is an excellent film. Sure. I've never seen Birdman. Oh man. And oh, I, you would like, love it, Nikisha. He's yeah. not Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, so I have a lot of suggestions here based on different things. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm only going to say them because no one else said them. Um, sure, yeah. If, if you want more Guillermo del Toro madness, um, check out his, one of his original movies, Kronos. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, if you want more of this, 
any of the Hellboy, the two Hellboy movies that he made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just in terms of that aesthetic, as well as all that fun stuff. Um, if you, and then I haven't seen Pinocchio, but I hear it's spectacular. Um, mm. If you want more like children fantasy horror stuff, the two I would suggest, one is Coraline. Mm. Oh, love Coraline. But, and this next one's not scary, but it's one of the greatest movies ever, uh, Spirited Away. Oh, yeah. so good. <laughs> so that, those, those would be my suggestions. Good suggestions. Good suggestions. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our episode of uh, Pan's Labyrinth, not just Labyrinth. No David Bowie (laughs) in uh, this one. But good old Daddy Fawn is uh, in this. Papa Fawn. Papa Fawn. You can follow us on uh, all the social medias, the TikTok, the Twitter, the Instagram, at TalkHorrorPod, P-O-D. And Brian, where can they listen to us? You can listen to us wherever you are listening to podcasts. Maybe you listen to them on YouTube and watch them. We're there. Maybe you're listening to them on Spotify. Guess what? We're there. Perhaps Apple Podcasts. We're also there. Rate and review <laughs> us on every single platform that you're listening to us. Um, five stars, please. And thank, thank you. you. And something eyes. that we, something that we, the eyes. Something that we also <laughs> didn't say is, um, uh, well, we did. But get excited for October, where we yeah. got some fun stuff for you. Woo. It's going to be an exciting time. There's a Friday the 13th in October, too, guys. It's going to be a good one. Uh, Fantastic. Well, I just want to sign off with the stab stab because that is what is going to be in my brain from this uh, episode is Jamie being violent because she's like the least violent person on the face of the planet. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.